Does the channel provide value? Focus on the foundation. I am a travel vlogger. It's always about communication. Build those partnerships. What are the problems that you solve for your clients? Just being ahead on the technological side of things. Leading an organization. You not only want to survive, but you want to thrive. They said it wouldn't last, and they said that you can't drive profitable and incremental revenue through the affiliate channel. But here we are, 20 years later, and the affiliate channel is alive and kicking and generating profitable revenue for thousands of retailers across the globe. Hi, I am Jamie Birch, your host of the Profitable Performance Marketing Podcast, where we talk to some of the industry's best and brightest about their careers, about leadership, and about how to drive profitable revenue through the affiliate channel. Hey, this is Jamie Birch with JEB Commerce. Uh, on today's Profitable Performance Marketing Podcast, we have Cormac Jonas. I'm super excited to have him, and man, did we have a good conversation. But before I start, wanted to highlight one resource we have uh, available for you. So if you're wondering how you can use the affiliate program to reduce customer acquisition costs, and increase revenue, well, we have a case study for you. Just go to jebcommerce.com slash acquisition, uh, and you will be able to uh, access that case study uh, on many different ways we have for our clients, reduced cost of customer acquisition, increased ROI, and increased their revenue. So this is a practical guide with real advice on how to scale up that revenue and lower your customer acquisition costs. So go to jebcommerce.com slash acquisition. Now, today's guest has been in the industry for a long, long time. And I learned a lot about Cormac today uh, from uh, working as a civil engineer and his entire path uh, to becoming a uh, guru uh, of partner marketing and uh, business development and partnerships. So we talk about a lot of things here. Now, if you are an advertiser and you're saying to yourself, I really don't like the affiliates that I have. I, I, I don't think they're being innovative. Are they really reaching an audience? This is definitely the podcast you want to listen to because we talk about the innovative ways some of the large affiliates are attracting, building, and engaging with the audiences that you need. And so if you're also thinking about whether you need to participate uh, in and with these large affiliates, Cormac gives some really good advice on exactly why you need to. So this uh, is a great episode in that we talk about a lot of stuff. Uh, we're recording this the first week of school, and so we talk a little bit about uh, those kind of things. But um, this is a great podcast. Why don't we dive right into my episode here with Cormac Jonas? All right, Cormac, thank you for joining us on the perform Profitable Performance Marketing Podcast. You think after doing 10 or 12 of these, I would get the name of my own podcast now. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here, Jamie. Yeah, so you were telling right before we got started uh, that this week has been a little crazy for you, going back to school and everything. How How is that all going? Yeah, it's, it's kind of just been more surreal than anything else. Um, to be fair, if I had to guess, I think, you know, my daughter's probably doing absolutely fine with it. She's excited to be around her friends. And really, like, I think, you know, a lot, she doesn't seem nearly as worried about it. I know part of parenting is to worry for them. Um, but, you know, overall, it, they seem to be doing a good job. It's just really weird. It's just, you know, it's an odd thing, but it's our new reality now. So, uh, and, and where in the country are you? 
I'm outside of New York City. So I am just outside New York City in Jersey. Yeah. You guys got some sort of, uh, is it all remote? Is there a combination? Do you know? It seems to be yeah. changing every day. Well, we're, so we're in our, our little town is its own school district. So uh, we have for the elementary school kids, they're doing in-person full class half day and then half virtual. So basically they're doing, you know, math, writing, reading, the important stuff where really got to be one-on-one with the kids up front. And then on the backside, they're doing, you know, in the afternoons, they're doing virtual art and music and things like that. Yeah. And we just uh, last week uh, put our office office in storage. Um, uh, I was saying close our office, but someone said put the office in storage. And I, I prefer that phrasing. Uh, okay. But we put that in, in storage and made a commitment to we're not going to open back our office until 2021, until after 2021, just get all this through unless things dramatically change. So um, I've had to find unique ways uh, to work. How is the... Uh, homes, the the remote learning for school and the working from home, because we had this in the summer, but we were all kind of hoping that people would go back to school. Maybe we'd have uh, a little more, less distractions at home. Yeah, absolutely. I think, well, to be fair, uh, the the remote learning last year, it was kind of a mess because we closed, uh, I guess, right after St. Patrick's Day, our schools closed and it went fully remote here because we were early. Um, kind of the, one of the first areas to start dealing with uh, the whole coronavirus COVID situation. Yeah. Um, and uh, so that was a hot mess. <laughs> There's no way to educate a seven-year-old on, on a computer and like keep their attention <laughs> for any length of time. It's just not going to work well. Um, so we worked it out. She, I actually set her up a desk next, to, like up in my office where I've set up my little home office and she's been done a wonderful job. She comes up, she's quiet, she does her work. And if she needs help, she asks for it. So She's been great. Second, second grade seems to be going, you know, uh, I mean, it's early days yet, but they seem to be doing fairly well. And the kids of the transition part was really, really kind of difficult for them. But overall, they've done a good job of getting the, uh, the, the kids' computers and their computer skills up leveled enough that all of them are able to do it. That's great. I know I feel for the teachers and the principals and administrators who have to figure out how to deal with this here uh, in, in Idaho. Our it was the opening day was moved back a little bit and they are still discussing exactly how they're going to roll things out and, you know, how long you're going to be in class. How, you know, do you wear a mask? Do you don't? What's remote learning? So it's it's been a bit crazy. And what's funny is we've been homeschooling for uh, you know, almost, I think, eight years. And even when this hit last year, it kind of put everything through a loop for us, too. Really, nothing changed for our education, and we still feel like we lost March and April of last year completely. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and it just—it's a huge disruption. You know, they lost all their extracurriculars, all of that stuff. We've been fairly lucky. Like our New Jersey, at, outside of getting like the initial big uh, slam of cases that came in when nobody knew what to do. Since then, they've done a really good job. Uh, we've kind of tiptoed our way into things. And I mean, you know, there's huge impacts to a whole host of businesses that, um, you know, are really unfortunate, but, you know, kind of the, the public safety needs to be held in account, you know, um, until, until we have either a vaccine or a treatment path for, for, you know, diseases that we still don't know the long-term ramifications of. Um, you know, it's, yeah. it's really, it's really far too, they've done, I will say not knowing governor Murphy just moved here in January, no opinions of him. 
don't know any much of his politics, but he has done a fairly good job of handling coronavirus. So that's the extent of my uh, my experience with him so far. That seems to be the bar right now in terms of like every politician is how did they handle that? Um, I, I felt our governor did a pretty good job. We have a really unique crowd in Idaho. Uh, there's a lot of people that uh, uh, live here because of the don't tread on me sort of uh, freedom and liberty thing. And so we've had, uh, I think he's done a fine job where the majority of uh, the people here are very much anti-mask, uh, pro-liberty and freedom and things. So it's been a difficult, or it's been really interesting to watch. Interesting is probably the best way I could put it. Um, you know, we had, we had some of our clients and this has impacted so many people, so many different ways and, and ways I would never have thought of. Um, we have one client who, because of this, people weren't going to stores and tra trading in old product. And that meant their inventory level went down to sell refurbished product. Uh, and uh, they're, they're waiting until they get, you know, they're, they're pivoting and finding new venues to find the product. But this, uh, the, the pandemic sure has uh, opened up a lot of uh, I mean, unique issues that I would never have thought of. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, it's been, um, you know, it, there's a lot of weird things that we're learning both about like our supply chains and, you know, kind of areas of our economy that I think a lot of people didn't really have a great understanding of. I mean, even they're saying now that uh, people have stockpiled so many sodas and beers at home that there's a, an aluminum can shortage because they're unable to recycle them and get them back into circulation. Um, you know, so wow. there, there's all kinds of these weird things where like our, our, our economic systems in, in a lot of cases are, are not really well tuned. If you look at the disruptions of things in tech like Uber, um, Airbnb, a lot of our systems aren't really set up to for, you know, to handle disruptions. Um, and in a lot of, you know, the tech space has done a pretty good job where there's a bit of an adoption period where you have some room yeah. for, for, to adapt. This was really kind of hyper immediate, um, you know, for a large swath of the country um, where, you know, they just stopped going out and spending money. Um, and in a lot of cases, didn't, you know, probably didn't have money to spend. You know, they're confined to their homes. They can't really go anywhere. Um, and the impacts yeah. of that, I, I think there's going to be some amazing learnings. I'm sure I'm a big fan of the University of Chicago and a lot of the economic uh, studies yeah, they yeah. do. I am sure there's some awesome stuff coming out of uh, there here in the next couple of years um, where really, you know, behavioral economists, this is uh, kind of their ideal laboratory um, for, for learning and testing things um, because you have, you know, you're, you're actually able to do the what if of what if people stop going to stores. Um, so it gives them an ability to dig in. It'll be very interesting to see um kind of the, the learnings that come out of it and and how do we is is it possible for us to plan for things like this um especially we can take learnings from things like this and apply them to disaster recovery on a localized area um you know are there ways that we can help get businesses and restaurants back up to speed much faster um because of learnings that we had from supply chain issues with covid yeah, and definitely. What I was thinking when you were talking about the aluminum can issue is, uh, you know, in the 80s, we in manufacturing moved to Kaizen and, and uh, I'm not an expert in this stuff and just in time yep. uh, lean manufacturing. And it has a, a lot of advantages. But this has shown, I think, 
uh, and and hopefully we get listeners to tell me I'm full of it and I don't know what I'm talking about, but <laughs> it seems like this is where it isn't good because we don't have those stores. We're making things that are, you know, being consumed in a few days, a few weeks from now. And uh, this has definitely shown the weakness in that in that system. But yep, large ramifications. Love the Chicago economics thing. I, I definitely uh, uh, agree with you there, too. That'll be some pretty interesting stuff coming out in the years to follow. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, that sort of stuff, especially in, in case studies, you know, and also watching out the other side, um, you know, there will be a swath of new uh, businesses that pop up out of this. And also, you know, we don't really know, I, I can tell you, like our family, we, we, we've transitioned from a very event oriented going out doing things to much more, you know, we basically built the summer camp in our backyard. And, you know, does that begin to evolve over time where, you know, even post COVID where people kind of, hey, we don't need to go and do and be quite as busy. Our lives are busy enough as is. Let's take more time and kind of spend time with us. And, I, you know, that part of it, um, I've really enjoyed. Like, it's been pretty awesome, um, you know, getting to watch the kids grow up on a daily basis, despite having them join sales calls and drop into trainings and just generally <laughs> yep. disrupt things. But, you know, I mean, they're, they're curious. They're, they're a lot of fun. Um, and it, it's, you know, that part not missing the majority of their waking hours every day is, is pretty awesome. I like that. Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, I totally agree with you. You know, it'd be interesting to see how that shift away from outside of the home events, because we were very similar. Uh, we we had uh, we had a plan for this summer. I know that's funny to hear now, but we were gone doing things three weekends a month and being really really active. But I wonder if you combine that with you know the the shift, especially with the millennials, of instead of con consumption to experience. Mm -hmm. you know, I wonder how those two things will kind of play out in consumption and, and consumer behavior over the you know as things open up. Does it come back? Have they have we we've been in kind of lockdown for long enough where now it's really the change has held on? I don't know. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I mean, we've you know we did a family vacation where this summer to go see a rocket launch. Um, all my kids are of the, the age ages where rockets are total magic and the greatest thing in the world, and so we can you know burn a long weekend. We just did it differently. We went, we rented a house away from people. We made a, you know, we ordered out. We wanted to support the local economy similar to how we would have. And we just ordered takeout from them. So I think yeah. you can still get some of the experiential. Um, one really cool thing, and apologies for, you know, this uh, East Coast bias. We have an awesome thing if anybody's in New York or on the East Coast. They're now down as far as D.C. and I think as far north as Boston. But uh, a group called Cook Unity, who we have no affiliation with, I just buy their food, so <laughs> no hidden ad. But they have taken out-of-work restaurant cooks and chefs and begun to do heat and eat meals where they deliver them on a weekly basis to your house. Um, I think you can get it more frequently than weekly, too. Um, but they're incredible high-end. You can get you know steak and asparagus, and all the meals are 10 bucks because they're not oh, wow. paying for the overhead of a restaurant. Um, and I don't know if, it, you know, I'm hoping that, you know, it allows some of these really awesome places uh, to, to stay open or to adapt their business models. I don't know how successful they're being, but I think services like that and things like that are going to be the way, especially the younger, uh, you know, millennials, Gen Z, the 
the younger folks tend to will make experiences in a way that's both socially responsible and also low risk to themselves. And so, wow. I, and what I was that business? Cook Unity. Um, they are, it, it, it's out. We discovered them not that long ago. I just noticed uh, that they had, it's, uh, they, they started, it was the top 50 New York private chefs and you can, um, they have awesome, awesome food and meals. They do a little bit of everything and they're expanding rapidly. So um, if you if you see it, uh, check it out. I don't know. I don't get anything for it, but uh, you know, I don't need to. Hopefully it helps. It. Yeah, I'll try to add them to the show notes. Cool. Uh, yeah, it, adaptation is, is pretty interesting. Let's talk about your adaptation. You are currently, how about that segue, right? <laughs> yeah. <Perfect. laughs> Not planned at all. Um, but you you have a you know long history. You've been in the space for a really long time. And you've had a bunch of different roles. So why don't you tell uh, our audience who may not uh, know you as well as I do, like, how'd you start and, you know, what was your career path like? Sure. Um, it was actually uh, pretty, pretty funny. It was, uh, uh, I started out, I was actually uh, working uh, with a civil engineering company. We were building the Nationals uh, Stadium in Washington, D.C., where I'm from. Um, and so, uh, we were building that and then kind of the two, when the whole 2008 kind of crisis began, we had a huge layoff. Uh, so I went and had a friend of mine who, uh, ran a small lead gen company, um, pretty much out, out of a very small office and was doing, you know, kind of very basic, uh, lead aggregator functions. Um, I started kind of went in there and said, Hey, I can't work in my field and keep my insurance, but I can work here and, uh, you know, kind of earn some money until we figure out what's going on. Um, really kind of delved in. It was super interesting. I, really, I, I like the fact that you could build something quickly, get it out in the market, see how the people reacted to it and, and kind of analyze and, and shift from there. Um, I was there at Blue Heel for man, four and a half or yeah, about four and a half, five years. Um, and kind of, you know, helped that they expanded greatly over that time and continued into the lead gen space. I then went to a company called Intella, who was an emailer who, uh, and was helping them build out their, uh, lead generation business on that side. Um, and then we were acquired by Zeta Interactive, um, which they are a New York based company. Um, and I would kind of help transition the products over uh, to them, but was offered an amazing opportunity from a friend of mine, uh, Amanda Carr, who used to be at Macy's, uh, recommended me for a job at Retail Me Not, and that I will I, I will owe her forever, and I'm pretty sure uh, every time, well, if there is ever an affiliate summit again, I always try and seek out Amanda and say thank you, because <laughs> that was really uh, the transition. It was awesome. I got to go to RMN um, at a time when the, it, it was hyper creative. Uh, you know, things were really exciting, building new things kind of, you know, it was really, uh, it was a pretty awesome place to be. And so that was really where I, I think most of my skills developed. I certainly, I, I was able to learn under some incredibly smart people there um, and just had, was very fortunate um, to kind of in hindsight, very fortunate to, to be, uh, to get the travel vertical, which was ripe for growth with retail me not, it just needed mm -hmm. the right level of attention. Um, and so that kind of, you know, having the travel clients led me to kind of see some of the gaps in the data where we weren't filling users needs. 
So uh, repeatedly kind of started with asking, went to asking sternly and finally just like, you know, yelling and screaming with our C team there uh, to build a travel site out. And eventually, I think mainly just to make me go away, they said yes. <laughs> and uh, so we, we, we built out a travel portal that, you know, accomplished all of the goals we were looking to do. We had, uh, you know, kind of at its net, uh, the page had suboptimal, you know, page stats. And we were able to, you know, dramatically reduce the bounce rate, increase the time on site, show that users were, you know, uh, you know, kind of some of the guesses we had being retail me not are people there to shop or do they have their mind made up? And we saw, especially with the travel data, they're still actively shopping. Um, you know, they're looking around, they are hunting around both our site and others to find the best deal and, you know, effectively in a lot of cases, it wasn't so that they could, you know, they weren't looking for a coupon to afford, you know, to get the discount. That was part of it. It made luxuries more affordable. We, we didn't see kind of, you know, a lot of coupon usage at the, at the low end, um, you know, on, on, you know, the $49 a night hotel rooms, um, people weren't really hunting for coupons. It was when they were looking for, you know, a three and $4,000 trip, they were driving, you know, driving really well. Um, you know, good AOVs, good volume um, in those spaces. And I think, you know, it was pretty awesome. But yeah, it was, that was certainly the, the, the place where I was able to grow. You know, they really kind of opened. It, it was an awesome place to be. Austin, I, I miss it to this day. It was one of my favorite places in America. Um, and so that was pretty magical. Um, after uh, I left Retail Me Not uh, two, a little over two years ago to go to uh, help Global Savings Group expand into the U.S. And, and build out their operations, which went very, very well. Um, and then kind of more for our children's educational needs. Uh, you know, we had a, a first grader who they wanted to move to fourth grade. And so we realized oh, wow. that the, the schools there probably weren't going to be a great fit. Um, so we were able to get her up here and get her into uh program that would, you know, keep her challenged and engaged. And especially, you know, how we worked with agencies and OPMs and really reimagining kind of the, the ways in which we had uh, run the business in the past. And so, you know, it's kind of sitting down and looking at everybody's processes and seeing, hey, is this, you know, are these bespoke? Can we adopt some of these over and really making sure that we are doing this in the smartest way possible? Because it is a wonderful opportunity that sits in front of us to really bring a group of amazing products to the market. Um, and, you know, we want to make sure that we do it right. So we're trying to, uh, I guess, hurry, but not rush. We want to do it quickly and properly. So, um, you know, it's been, uh, it's, it's been a lot of fun. It seems like a far cry or a, a long way from building a stadium yep. to uh, partnerships and affiliate marketing. Do, do you view it as, was it was it a, a complete career change, or do you see a common thread through the whole thing? Um, I mean, there's a bit of a common thread. So I will say, it, it, I, I was ready. I, I thought, um, little secret for anybody who looks, ninety five percent of like civil engineering now it comes out of a computer. It's not super creative. In my mind, when I started going down that path, um, I thought there would be more creativity and kind of creativeness that went into it. Um, and, you know, so that was it. I think there's a creative thread that runs through all of them where I, I like to build stuff and make stuff and do stuff. Um, you know, I'm sure, I, you know, uh, some of my old retail me not friends, especially Cotter would probably say that yeah, looking back, maybe, you know, uh, 
finding a sales guy with an engineering background would have, would have saved him a few gray hairs, but, um, you know, <laughs> I, I think it, it, it worked out all right. Um, you know, but I definitely think I will say certain things really helped me. Um, you know, it, construction sites are not always the friendliest, most welcoming workplaces. And so you learn how to be determined and you learn how to deal with people who don't want to necessarily do things the way you want them to do them. Um, and, you know, you have to get the job done. It needs to be on time. It needs to be on budget. And if you're not, you start incurring penalties, which nobody likes. And so, uh, you know, you really, you have to figure out how to navigate difficult situations, whether other things, um, the shift to tech was really fairly easy because generally the people are pretty nice and straightforward and all mission focused. Um, so that made it much easier. You're not competing with the weather usually outside of, you know, we would have to close the offices if they threaten <laughs> snow in Texas because Texas yeah. roll it up if they say it might snow. Um, but uh, outside of that, it, you know, a lot of the skills kind of meshed over pretty close. I mean, the, the, the digital marketing and affiliate space, there's no great way to learn it other than to do it. Time and seat is really how you start figuring this out. And, you know, still heavily, it's one of the areas in any business where your reputation matters um, quite a bit. You know, what you've done, the things you've done in the past, um, you know, how you've treated people is this industry has been really at the forefront. And, you know, I'm happy to see both from my friends at Retail Me Not, uh, who have really done an amazing job being upfront leaders on DNI work that they've done. But overall, the affiliate marketing industry, you know, was was one of the most diverse kind of going into it in a lot of cases. You know, there was anybody can join anybody. If you have a publishing platform, we can help you monetize it. And that part of it was, was very democratic to me. And I very much always enjoyed that. Was the move to Retail Me Not, would you say that was the most pivotal decision you made in your career? Or was there something else that was a, a real pivotal? moment. Not to date, I would say, uh, yeah, definitely moving to retail me not because there were, I had worked, I mean, you know, the level of creativity and difference in ways of looking at things. And I can think, I, you know, I don't want to turn this into an Oscars accepted speech, but there were some amazing leaders um, who I worked there like early on um, who were really just, they would take the time and, you know, help you develop your ideas, give you different ways of looking at things um, to, you know, the accessibility of executives really spawned that creativity and they really cared. Everybody was mission focused and, and bought in. And, you know, I, I don't, I, I think that's a top down culture thing. I know Cotter was always a big fan of that and, you know, had a couple of, couple of other, you know, done is better than perfect. Um, I think that is etched somewhere in my, in my, my brain matter. Um, yeah. I could, you know, we would hear that over and over and over again, but uh, that and gay. Uh, but, uh, those, uh, you know, kind of, it was definitely the most pivotal for me because it opened up, it let me explore and kind of get, it really was as weird as it sounds, a safe place to try out new ideas, new things. And really like, you know, some of the ideas that I had when I was there, like convincing retail me not to build a travel site was, was, was kind of, you know, most, I had a number of people like just look at me and be like, but we're a retailer. Like we, we do retail sales. Um, you know, and so being able to go, Hey, here's the data, here's what I'm looking at and having, you know, execs who have been to the best colleges and worked at the biggest companies in the world go, you changed my mind on this. And I think a lot of that was due to the culture. It would have been too easy at other places to just say, no, you know, just let's not try new okay. stuff. Let's just keep going with what we got. And, you know, you can't, that's not a really 
that's an okay short-term plan. But for the long term, we should all be looking to, you know, improve and get better at what we do. That's awesome. You know, one thing I've noticed is a lot of business development professionals find their way into affiliate marketing. What do you think is the, what are the common, you know, the, the common character traits or uh, uh, values or, you know, what are the common things between that sales and business development and affiliate marketing? I, I think it's probably a handful. I mean, um, from the sales front, they're very challenging aspects of selling to anybody. I don't want to disqualify what salespeople do. They have a tough gig. But with affiliate, you can really kind of pick your poison. You can choose an area that you're super passionate about and bring that passion to it. Um, there's a wide enough array of both publishing platforms and merchants who are working with them that it makes it very engaging. You know, if you're super, super passionate about this, and I know I've, I've been working with uh, some of the folks at the Purina Pet Care Innovation Network, they're hyper passionate about pets and improving the daily lives of pets and pet owners. And, you know, it's very easy, even if you're not kind of a traditional seller, if you're hyper passionate about it to do that. So if you have those innate sales skills and you have the passion, you're that much more ahead of folks. Um, additionally, with that, I will say affiliates kind of fun. Um, you know, it, it's a really fun group of people. They're, you know, generally even the ones who I've met who everybody told me I should be worried about and are difficult are really just, you know, they're guarded about their businesses, but generally they're very good people. Um, you know, but I think it, the draw is there's a lot of freedom in it. Um, you know, in a lot of cases, the, the, the companies, a lot of them have led in the work from home, you know, fully remote teams. Um, I know the AP group has kind of really started there and, you know, we're seeing more companies go that way. So it allowed you the freedom to be who you wanted to be. Um, you know, if you were good at what you what you did, um, there nobody really cared about anything else. It was, you know, you're good at what you do, you're a decent person, and you know, you're able to get things done on a you know, on deadlines. We all have those are those are always tough. And you know, you don't mind skipping Thanksgiving every year. That that's also key. You're never having a Thanksgiving again. Um, with Black Friday, it definitely is again. different. If you are in retail, Thanksgiving is different. Yeah, it's uh, it's not it's not a holiday you circle for good reasons. But um, you know, it's been I've seen people come in from other spaces, and really, it's also that you can't learn this anywhere else. Um, you know, so mm -hmm. these skills, it is really it's a level playing field because everybody's starting at zero and up leveling their skills as they go. And so I think that part of it, both of those where it's, you know, egalitarian, where, it, you know, it's an open playing field. If you want to open a coupon site, you can open one tomorrow. Um, you know, the bar to entry is very low, but the, the it takes a lifetime to master. Definitely. So now you have unique experience, like you were saying earlier, that setting up the travel category at Retail Me Not. And, and travel is kind of on everyone's mind right now, mostly because we can't. Right. Uh, and, you know, because it's been so negatively affected by the situation, and you know, if I would have thought what had slowed things down, I wouldn't have been able to think of this. And, and it and something that so dramatically impacted one industry uh, has been pretty crazy. But at some point, it, it's going to come back. And I definitely want to talk about what you learned then and, and going in now. But you shared with me some interesting stories on our prep call of yes. some omni-channel stuff that you did. So. I'm just going to turn it over to you. Share some of the really cool stuff that you were doing there. Absolutely. So for some context, uh, Retail Me Not had and has this really awesome in-store shopping platform called Thread. 
um, that traditionally had been used pretty heavily uh, to drive in-store sales where you could pull up the coupon on your phone, scan it at the point of sale and walk out. Um, you know, it was kind of, there's more and more folks are, are doing similar things now, but that they were definitely the one of the first in the space to really crack it. So uh, it, this was part of my marshalling support for, for, for the travel vertical inside Retail Me Not. Um, I, and once again, it was pure luck uh, that I had a partner. You know, one of the reasons that this, this space is so great, I think if I had not been talking to kind of the partner marketing teams, uh, like a traditional marketing team, likely this wouldn't have happened back, you know, four or five years ago. Nowadays, I think marketing teams have awoken to kind of the, the partnership opportunities that are out there and are really taking a look at everything. But uh, we, there was a, a tech that you will probably remember that was the hot new thing of 2015 called Beacons. Um, yep. And Beacons came and went and didn't do much. Uh, they're starting now to really kind of catch on and do more, but it, it was a little bit limited then. So what we had done was we worked with the MGM group and we said, hey, we want, you know, we, we have a hard wall on gaming. We know that we can't push, do any mobile offers or anything to push people into a casino. And I was like, but we have no issues pushing people into restaurants. And so what we did was we, we set up location-based notifications and pinged folks who were in competing properties uh, to come over and enjoy a meal at below peak times for these restaurants. And basically you were <laughs> able to chart out based on the distance from the front door, what the amount of uh, coupon or what the amount of discount you had to give them to leave the casino or leave their hotel resort, whatever you want to call it and go across the street uh, to get their food. And, you know, it was highly successful. We were able to, uh, you know, kind of do it on a, a test basis for the hotels and kind of on the backside of that, we were able to start looking at it for some other groups where, you know, there's a lot of hotel restaurants uh, don't really have awesome marketing features unless they're, you know, you have like a palm where people just kind of know about it. But being able mm -hmm. to dr drive demand gen for them into the, the restaurants was key. And so we were able to take that and kind of model it out. And we took a lot of those learnings and rolled them into the food and dining product uh, that, that Retail Me Not launched in the app, uh, I think in 2017. I might be off on the year. It's been a while and I'm old. But uh, <laughs> so I think it was 2017 when food and dining began to launch in. And so, it, you know, it gave them some really novel targeting ideas and, and ways they could do it. And again, it showed them that our travel audience, um, you know, was highly engaged. Uh, we also did tests where we would deliver uh, push notifications to users who we saw coming out of airplane mode in airports. Um, and so we had a, a fairly long lag timer to make sure you weren't dropping people off or anything else. But once we saw people would spend about 10 or 15 minutes in an airport, we would ping them and let them know like, you know, hey, we have really good hotel deals. Here's some food deals in this town. Here's some, you know, amazing rental car deals. Any of the options that you would be game for so that let's say you're looking to rent a car from, well, I'll use Hertz because they're no longer with us. Um, but you're looking to rent from, you know, this rental car place, but the line's like 30 people long. They, mm -hmm. you can get a push notification from the like, hey, we have no line and we'll give you 20% off. And so you know, it gives a way for, you know, the, the smaller locations and situational marketing, um, you know, making sure if you're brand new to a new city is getting a, a push notification with like, hey, here's all the really good restaurants that we love. And here's where we already have discounts set up for you as an incentive to go in. Um, you know, the setting, setting up those, uh, those pushes really, uh, we had really good results, um, for both, you know, car rental, Uber, uh, restaurants did very, very well 
as well. Um, Did you experience any any pushback on like, whoa, how do they know I'm in line for a car rental? Uh, and the creepiness. Did you did you get any consumer pushback on that? No, we didn't really because we just set the when we did the push notifications. What we would do is be like, hey, we see you're here. And also, we had a very high percentage of our app users who had location location services enabled uh, because they uh, they used it frequently in malls. So because that that experience replicated closely enough. Um, and you know, they're still in the market to shop. It's just that you might not be top of mind with them at that point. And so yeah. on, on, on that side, it, uh, you know, that was very, we didn't have any negative user feedback from that side. We actually saw open rates were very, very high. Yeah. We actually used that service for one of our, uh, fashion apparel retailers at, at around the same time. And, uh, that was a really effective way. Uh, to make sure that they got into the store and given them an offer that would incentivize them to, uh, you know, to make a purchase. So I, I can definitely tell you from the other side, it, we definitely saw it work as well. Yep, absolutely. So I'm glad, I'm glad, that, you know, you, 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 we have aligning data from disparate data sources. So that's good. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, it was, it was awesome being able to test those. And really that was, you know, kind of led me into the next one, which uh, was, a really fun test that you know uh, I would like to make sound more glamorous, but basically uh, I we I wanted to when we merged uh, we were purchased um, by uh, Harlan Clark Companies who owns Velasis who does paper coupons that show up in your mailbox. Um, kind of long story short, but I, they still ship coupons to be like counted and weighed in warehouses, and you know it, it seems horribly inefficient. I thought we could digitize it and I thought we could use our platform to do so. So we're, we were lucky in Texas to have one of the greatest grocery stores in the whole wide world. It's called HEB. If you're ever in Texas, go to that, go to Bucky's. You've seen most of it, um, most of the really important cool stuff, and then leave the locals to enjoy the rest. Um, but uh, <laughs> so, um, but HEB was awesome. We, they have these yellow coupons that they used to hang up in store. And, you know, it was funny. It always used to make me laugh as somebody who had frequent conversations about, is this incremental? Every time I went to the grocery store, I looked at their coupons and went, those aren't incremental in any way, shape or form. You're, you're finding them at the point when you put Oreos in your cart and you just learned you get extra 50% off if you tear this tag off um, and take it up to the counter with you. So I started going in in the mornings and I would collect 10 or 15 for things that I thought our audience would like. So we tested a wide, wide variety um, of items. But basically, I was a parent of young kids knowing that they're ba I, I was breaking a rule where you don't market to yourself. But uh, I, I kind of made made the guess that I make a ton of grocery store trips because we're always out of something. Um, you know, so the kids either eating too much of it or not enough. And so back and forth, we go to the grocery store. And so we really targeted at parents of young children, figuring they would be, uh, you know, good targets. We just simply took in the codes, uh, took in the coupons, digitized, uh, the, the codes, and then took them, went and tested them in store, um, before we went live and we pushed it live to 12 locations in the Austin area. And they would basically, when you pulled into the parking lot, we would give you a push notification at HEB saying, hey, here's some great in-store coupons for HEB. Um, we had an 83% open rate on the push notification. Uh, <laughs> we averaged four clicks per user within the module. 
It was ridiculous off the charts data. Um, it was super exciting. Uh, we went and it was actually kind of weird. We were getting ready to go and pitch it into the HEB team to run fully. Um, they actually uh, were at that point acquiring uh, Favor, uh, who you guys may have heard of before. Uh, they bought Favor and then rolled them in and built this HEB digital center. And Retail Me Not chose not to productize it. Um, I don't know if there was, you know, pushback on the CPG side or kind of how it worked, but I can tell you if you have the HEV app, um, which I do, even though I don't get to use it a whole lot anymore, uh, they have launched the yellow coupons in the app and it works tremendously. Um, in the CPG space, this, this is a huge opportunity. Um, the, the speed, we were able to cut down tender times. And so basically they're getting more people through their lines because of how we can stack codes um effectively and man it was oh, wow. absolutely phenomenal yeah because we could do talk about like a inc incidental and accidental benefit yeah absolutely we weren't even counting on that and when we talked to HEB the first time they were like i can scan 20 coupons in like three seconds now very easily simply by holding it and scrolling the screen um it makes it very very easy i even you know I, v2 would be you go in and pre-shop and then we give you a single barcode that applies all the coupons um, yeah. you know, things like that, but it, I think it, it will have to come. That's going to have to come from the CPG companies. Um, and currently, you know, I think there's, there's probably a handful of things. If I had to guess, uh, you know, usage rates, uh, for the CPG companies would probably be a net negative. Um, I don't want 83% of people who see my coupon to use it. I like it as being kind of yeah. like a billboard. I don't know. I'm just, you know, kind of guessing it, it, you know, but if, if I see a really good coupon, most people forget to cut it out, but they'll still probably pick up the product anyway. Um, yeah. you know, but I think True. there's yeah. a lot they could learn <laughs> from actual real time data and, and localized data, you know, coming from user scanning, you know, you could set them up as single use codes, make it very, very easy for users across the board to, to do, you know, measure these uh, to measure what the users are buying and what the differences are per market. Do different coupon amounts work in different markets? Um, there's a host of things we could do that they have been doing through newspaper circulars that now they really don't have that availability to because, you know, I mean, really outside of, you know, uh, retail me not every day and or uh, the, the value pack mailers. Um, there, there's not a lot of newspaper circulation in that way. You know, the New York Times doesn't have your coupon section. Yeah. Uh, you know, what's most interesting about these two examples is the level of innovation and, and cutting edge uh, ways to reach, engage and convert audiences by an affiliate for an advertiser. Uh, these are pretty amazing, especially coming from you know, uh, an, an, a publisher that sometimes gets a bad rap. We hear about, we tell me not a lot from advertisers that are prospects and it's not, you know, it's not often where it's like, Oh, we love these guys. Make sure you keep them and, and promote them, you know, and, and work more with them. You know, they, there's some, some uh, circles, there's a bad rap. Uh, and these are some well, of the most innovative ideas I, that I've seen. Yeah. And I mean, I, if I'm being honest, I like looking at it now and being agnostic on the platform side of things, I, I think it's probably twofold. Um, if I look, I, you hear negative things about all of the massive publishers because, True. you know, as soon as you get to any sort of massive scale, 
the merchant becomes more dependent on the publisher than the publisher does the merchant in many cases, outside of a handful yeah. of brands where the brands drive demand. Um, you know, Amazon still charts are in course. Walmart still picks yeah. who they work with. But if you're trying to cut into their market share, you don't have a choice as a, as a smaller brand. Um, what I would say is, you know, in a lot of cases, they think of them as monolithic and they're not, you know, uh, Rakuten, Ebates is not just cashback. Um, you know, Groupon is not just local deals. Honey is not just a browser extension. Retail me not, it's not just coupons. And so I think a lot of it is, you know, A, in a lot of cases, you know, and I think this will change coming out the other side of this, but, you know, performance marketing teams prior to COVID didn't get the attention within merchants that they deserved. They usually were, you know, like not not getting the level of recognition given the value and the data that they can pull out. You know, if I look compared to a, a display platform where I get clicks and, you know, impressions and click-through rate, um, you know, the level of data and product level data that I can pull out and audience level data that I can pull out of the affiliate space is much greater. I don't know how many are, A, asking publishers to provide this. Um, you know, I think, you know, it's like anything, it's a relationship. And if you look at how do you work with them in a way, I can tell you without, we would not have a travel site if it had not been fully endorsed and said it was important by our merchant partners. And so, you know, it's building those relationships, A, takes time um, and takes input. And a lot of times, you know, people who are, you know, when you're innovating or doing new things, people get worried about it. You know, uh, people don't always want to test or they're concerned about how it might be viewed. Um, you know, I, I I was very lucky that the Expedia group that I worked with and Booking Group uh, in the U.S. Were, have huge test and test and learn cultures. Um, you know, everybody within those orgs is, is challenged to fail fast and test things constantly. And that really benefited me. Um, you know, I, I don't think had I been... I don't think I would have been, I would be in the same position if I had been working with merchants who were like, here's your coupon schedule for the year, go away. Um, so, you know, it's really building the relationship, understanding what they do, and then you internally knowing your own metrics, knowing your profitability, knowing kind of where your needs are to be able to throttle those things. Um, you know, there are plenty of levers that you can pull and then also exporting those learnings from affiliate and putting them into your other channels makes a lot of sense. Um, and in a lot of cases, you know, some merchants are being super smart about it. Some, uh, you know, but uh, I'm sure there are plenty who are not taking their affiliate sales data and basically overlaying that into their Facebook custom audiences that they're giving. You know, little basic things like that. If this is where I reach my users and these are the folks, you know, coupon sites in general do an extremely good job of driving new users. Um, you know, generally, out, you know, cashback drives loyalty over the long term very, very well. Um, you know, there's different kind of top line goals that they hit. But underneath of those, there's a lot of ways that you can work with them. Um, there's a lot of data you can learn. And most of these companies, um, you know, most of the publishing companies, they're hyper creative. They're looking for the next latest and greatest thing because, you know, and, and looking at some of the companies in the space that are coming up now. Um, Dosh has really done an amazing job of, you know, with card linked offers. Um, you know, there's some smart new ways of looking at things and really, you know, it, it's incumbent on merchants to really, when you see that now pandemic aside, the, the, the merchants who were, we used to have a number of merchants who would fly in, sit down, go, I want to talk to all your product people. 
And I want to go over what you're building and how it benefits my business and what the timelines are. And they knew ahead of time what was, you know, we're happy to tell them, here's what we're building, here's what's going on, here's how it's going. What do you think? We would like to road test this a little bit before. Um, you know, and uh, if merchants engage at a higher level um, and really, you know, we're able to get some of their senior leaders looking at the channel and bringing their creativity and their experiences. And, you know, I'm sure it would up level what we do in, in the performance space and on the publisher front. Um, their learnings that they have from television commercials and print commercials and things like that, those data sets that, you know, the publishers would do amazing things with them. If, if you know, if you were able to provide them some baselines and here's what we like, here's what didn't, um, you know, and it, it's a lot of it, one of you know kind of the recurring theme is it's trust if you trust um i had certain partners in the travel space who were sharing profitability they were telling me how much money they made on on the sales that we were driving and you yeah, know yeah for most merchants telling a publisher like hey here's how much i made like in their mind they're like well now you're gonna ask for more commission and i was like no i understand you have a margin you need to keep this only works if yeah. it works for both of us like you know and so on that side of it, I, I, I think on the merchant side, really uh, up leveling really what they what they do in terms of interfacing with uh, with the publishers in the space. And then also getting out and, and evangelizing a little more than they probably already do. Um, you know, there are more and more high end publishers, uh, you know, coming into the space. You know, you've had both CNN Business Insider, the Conde Nast family yeah. of brands. Um, you know, th these were, you know, th these were brands that when, when you mentioned affiliate five, if I, you know, five or six years ago, if we'd been at affiliate summit and said, Hey, you know, I'm going to be working with the CNN and New York times teams, people would have just laughed, um, yeah. you know, in, in that kind of realm. So it will continue to expand. Um, the commerce content space is beginning to grow and mature a little bit. Um, you know, the companies that are getting into it are starting to understand kind of how to monetize their audience outside of packing banner ads onto the page. Um, you know, and those revenues have been declining over time. You know, uh, programmatic used to be the easiest way. Yeah. Cormac, for our listeners who don't know what commerce content, what to describe what that is. Um, yeah, commerce content, um, I guess kind of... Uh, I would say probably it is the closest thing to the coupons you used to get in the newspaper, except now you get your news on the internet. Um, so it's, you know, commerce where either they're doing, you know, Wirecutter uh, does amazing reviews on products and then, you know, they, they will monetize the affiliate links used in there. And if you choose to buy, they earn a commission, which allows them to keep going. Um, as opposed to, you know, back in the day, if, I, you know, I remember Yahoo takeovers. Uh, now this is dating myself, mm -hmm. but um, Yahoo takeovers were like the late, the greatest thing you could do. And you would have the side rails and all this stuff. Um, you know, those were high dollar flat fee placements that you really didn't have any sort of expectation of performance around. Um, and so this allows the, the news sites and uh, content creators really is all it is, is people who create unique and, and bespoke content. Uh, that have an engaged group of readers. It allows them to monetize it in a way that is transparent, generally, to the to the reader. They always tag it and tell them, hey, if you buy something here, we're getting a commission. Um, you know, because ultimately that reader is more important to them than the commission. Um, but it, it allows brands, especially smaller brands and SMBs would, would highly benefit. There's an air of legitimacy to, you know, having some of these publishers who have these massive followings 
review your product and you know put up put up your product uh, even on the website it is is hugely beneficial to it. And so um, you know it's it's a uh, commerce content will allow tr- non traditional publishers into the publishing space for affiliate mm-hmm. uh, and partnership marketing. Awesome, thank you for that. You know it, it seems like. You know, when we talk about, you know, what I brought up before, of like retail me not and, and some advertisers, mm-hmm. you know, having a problem with it, it seems like they need to shift their mindset from I don't have an affiliate problem. I have a relationship problem because yep. if you aren't engaged in some of these really unique ways that affiliates are engaging with the audience you're looking for. Uh, then that's probably not a problem with your affiliates. It's probably with your relationship with the affiliates. Uh, a lot of people do the set and forget it, set it and forget it, uh, and they're not building those strong relationships. So they don't get into these beta tests of uh, new new ways to engage consumers. Uh, they don't get access or even know that anything uh, is going on that can better reach the audience that they're looking for. And then you combine that with for, you know, and I, I've been doing this since 99. So probably for, you know, the first, I don't know, maybe the whole time. Uh, advertisers have always felt they were in control. There's a view of, well, I think some of this is incremental. I'm, I'm not quite sure. Uh, but the affiliates got to do what I got to do. But affiliates have built up. I remember talking to someone about You Promise, and an advertiser said, well, yeah, do they really do anything? I'm like, um, I'm at an Exxon gas station fueling up my car, and I see a You Promise sticker, and I'm eating a McDonald's set of fries. Uh, and you promises on the back of it. So I'm pretty sure, you know, they're reaching new customers. Yep. But now you have, like you said, they have become uh, their own thing. And the example I always give uh, to like a loyalty site is if I'm going to the mall to buy a pair of jeans, I'm buying a pair of jeans. If you're in that mall, you may get my purchase. But if you're not, you're not going to. And now affiliates have built their own audiences. They own that audience. And I, I wonder if there's a, sh- you know, that shift is going on and advertisers are struggling with like, okay, now I, now I have to be there. And I'm not, maybe I don't have as much power as I did five years ago because I want access to that audience. And it truly is a different and unique audience. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, Yes, there's there's a handful of places where, you know, really, and uh, I think there's probably probably six or seven enterprise size publishers where they have become their own marketplaces. And so if you as a merchant view them differently than you would selling your products on Amazon or selling your products on eBay or any other marketplace that, you know, you, you participate in, you're probably a little bit behind the behind the eight ball. Um, you have to look at them, or you don't have to, but you should look at them as as marketplaces where you are reaching consumers and driving sales. Retail me not wouldn't exist if the consumer demand wasn't there to uh, to to drive savings for people, and they wouldn't have the percentage of new users if it wasn't that coupon that pushed that user over the line. Ebates wouldn't have the audience they did, and you know I'm disappointed. I still haven't gotten that money box in my town because I know how to say Rackinson but soon, but uh, <laughs> when it'll show up soon. But, uh, you know, Rakuten users are incredibly loyal. Their lifetime value to Rakuten is immense. So, of course, yeah. in, in a battle between a merchant and user experience, they're, of course, going to pick user experience. 
Now, mm -hmm. that being said, you know, there's a lot they can do to understand, you know, uh, understand the, the marketplaces that they're working with and, you know, test and learn into them. The same as you would with AdWords, the same as you do with any of these. And I agree, too many folks in this space set it and forget it like a Ronco oven. And uh, they never, you know, if you did that with AdWords, you're dating you yourself again. Me. I know, it's okay. I got the gray hair to match, it's cool. But uh, like, I'm right there with you. Yeah. But like, if you did this with like your, your Google SEM, if you found it or your SEM manager is like, yeah, I put up ads like six months ago. Like I'll check them later. Yeah, like, you'd yeah. fire that person on the spot. Yet for some reason, this is perfectly acceptable with another marketing channel. Um, yeah. I, it boggles my mind. And I think, you know, what it, what it really has done is those brands who are hyper engaged are way ahead. Um, you know, when you take the, when you let these teams that know the space uh, kind of determine their own destiny, those groups really do well. And I can say, you know, uh, my, I promise final shout out, but I saw that one of, one of the early, early backers of affiliate marketing, uh, Karina at Expedia got promoted again, and she deserves everything in the world. She's awesome. She's forward thinking. She's super smart. Um, she's, she was a wonderful partner the entire time I was working in travel there. Um, so, you know, there, we are starting to see kind of this transition where some of the people who started out their lives in affiliate marketing due to the, the success they've been able to drive for these merchants and these large organizations are really driving awesome growth, um, you know, and are moving into other marketing channels, which I think will open up the partnership side because I see, you know, call it CPA or outcome-based marketing, I think is really where things are headed. Um, you know, I, I think coming out the other side of COVID, if, if you want $10,000 on something that I may not drive any sales on, um, you know, or even more, if you're looking at TV or, you know, some of the podcast ads, you know, the outcome-based marketing really makes, uh, makes it kind of put your money where your mouth is and not saying that you will save money or do better, but what you will have is data that you can actually use to inform your future marketing campaigns, which, which a lot of these, you know, it's still anecdotal what you, you know, in a lot of cases, what you get from television, um, you know, the streaming service ads, mm -hmm. uh, much better targeted, much better data on them, but still it's very difficult to, to kind of pull those out and, and directly tie them to a sale. So I think there's still, I, I, the thing I'm excited about is there's still an absolute ton of room for innovation in this space. And I have to guess, you know, looking at past pandemics and, and things that have happened where I, I, there's people working on stuff now. There's people coming up with a, you know, amazing, uh, amazing technology that we haven't thought about and that hopefully will be, you know, the next, you know, the next honey, the next, you know, uh, retail me not or ebates coming out of this space um because i think hopefully uh, you would think with the the size of companies that have sprung up and done it that it, it would have gotten more attention it's still you know there, there's no college courses that that really prepare you for how to delve into affiliate marketing like we, we yeah we have a lot of room to grow and understand and i think this will you know um it, it it'll start to really i i see it kind of in two ways. I think you'll see new technologies coming out that will adapt to kind of, I hate the new normal, but like what, what the world will look like in the next 24, 36 months as, as we deal with this, um, you know, and then what does life look like after that? Because I think that'll adapt as well. Um, I think the, you know, one thing I've noticed from COVID is the percentage of time spent multi, uh, multi-device streaming is 
really, you know, cross device breakage is, is only going to grow because people, yeah. you know, the kids will be watching TV while playing on an iPad and, you know, mom, mom and dad are both, you know, looking for things on the internet that they need to add to an Instacart or an Amazon order. Um, you know, so you're going to, there's a, more noise, there's more noise and you're going to have to, you know, the tracking is going to have to up, up level and, you know, the, the innovation is going to have to uh, up level to keep pace with the consumer. Well, and with you there and uh, with a long track record of some pretty amazing innovations, I'm excited to see what you guys come up with. Uh, so, you know, Cormac, we are at time. This was some gold stuff. I, this was outstanding. I learned a ton. Uh, uh, I took a, a, like I always say in my podcast, I think I took like four or five pages of notes. Lots of great stuff. Thank you for your time. If someone wants to get a hold of you and discuss any of these issues, find out um, how, how can they do that? Um, easiest. Well, really, you can reach out to me anywhere. Um, I, of course, on all of like, uh, all the social media platforms is a very easy uh, way to get in touch. And, you know, if you have any questions, um, happy to go over it in non-podcast format because I don't want to bore people with a demo. <laughs> <laughs> Outstanding. Cormac, thank you so much. And I just have to point out, as I'm looking at your profile on LinkedIn, oh God, we are not connected. We're not. How are we not connected? I don't know. We are well, not. It, I have your phone number, so I, that makes it a little easier. Um, but yeah. it does, it does. We can go that route. At some point I'll get it all fixed. I don't even know if my town's cracked, but Jamie, I will definitely add you on LinkedIn. <laughs> I don't want people to, uh, think that after the podcast, things went sideways. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Corvac. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Jamie. Have a good one. Now, see, I told you that was going to be a good podcast. And definitely, uh, once we dove into the affiliate stuff, so many good lessons to learn and things to talk about. Um, you know, his travel experience and setting up a travel site uh, was great to have on the podcast. You know, one of the, a couple things that we talked about that I really want you to think about is there is definitely a shift. If you're an advertiser and you want to gain new customers, you really have to go where they are. And affiliates are getting better and better every year at creating an audience, creating, like Cormac said, affiliates are marketplaces. So they're creating the marketplace. And if you want to be there and you want to get the attention of that audience, that's where you want to go. Consumer behavior has shifted a little bit. And one thing that I said that I really want to bring out is maybe you don't have an affiliate problem but you have a relationship problem. And like I said in the podcast, if you're you're not getting uh, incremental sales, if you're not getting new to file customer acquisition, if your costs are high and your revenue is low, a lot of times advertisers will think, well, I have to, you know, the affiliate program isn't being successful or I need to change the affiliates that I have. That may not be the case. You may have a relationship problem. As all these things, you know, really demonstrated, it is important to have a solid, mutually beneficial, transparent relationship with your affiliate partners on a one-to-one -one basis so that you can drive sales and revenue, customer acquisition, and reach your goals. Uh, and some of these were, were amazing, you know, 83% open rate, four clicks per user on some of those things. Um, and, and really remember, Cormac said this, it really sums it up nicely. Affiliates are not monolithic. 
they do more than one thing. So even those coupon sites, many of them do not just do coupons, they do many things. And how do you find that out? By building strong relationships with them. Evaluate them individually. So did want to let you know again, if you want to find out and read ways that we have reduced customer acquisition while increasing revenue through the affiliate program for our clients, then definitely go to jvcommerce.com slash acquisition and download the case study there. It'll give you uh, all the practical advice that you need um, in how you can both reduce your customer acquisition costs and increase revenue. So I hope you enjoyed this podcast episode and found value in it. Uh, if you did, please go to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and your podcast player and give us a thumbs up. A, a five-star review would be great. If you found it valuable, please share it on your socials and send it to someone that you think would benefit from this. Uh, my name is Jamie Birch from JEB Commerce, an affiliate management agency. I've enjoyed uh, presenting this to you today. If you need any help with anything, you want to just talk about your strategy, uh, you have an affiliate marketing or digital marketing question, uh, you can email me at gethelp at jbcommerce.com, but you can also set up time with me for free, no charge and, and no commitments of anything. You can go to calendly.com slash Jamie Birch and you can set up 15 minutes, 30 minutes, even an hour with me. Uh, and we'll just chat about whatever you need assistance with. So it's one of the things that I've set up since uh, the pandemic happened, just to help all the businesses. If I can help you in any way, please, you can use those two methods. You can also call us at 800-208-6215. So thank you and enjoy your day.